Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Inside the GM Studio, a podcast all about the tabletop RPG hobby, mostly centered for the game master, but the players, you come on along, listen up, learn some shit. Uh, I'm your host, Matt. I am David. And this week we're doing it a day late because here in Michigan, we had, uh, I actually had a tornado touchdown not too far from here Mm -hmm. and I was without power for three days. And then even after my power came back on, my internet company said, hold on, we're, we're catching up and it fucking sucks. So we couldn't record yesterday. So here we are today. We had a hurricane in California. I know. I heard, I was just about to ask you that, but I had a mouthful of whiskey. I heard that uh, you guys had actual weather out there in California as well. I was more in Southern California, not really here in the Bay. Um, apparently people don't know the difference, which is, I had my aunt was like, hey, I was just making sure everything is okay. I'm like, yeah, dude, that would be like if something happened in Kansas and I asked you if you were okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's about how far we're like, it's like a four and a half hour drive down to. Yeah. But yeah, all good. Nice. Uh, as for games this week, I had a very short session with my uh, my Ghost Mountain group where we actually got into the dungeon of it all, starting off with the dungeon. And at first, the guys, I don't think they expected it to be such a normal dungeon delve because, we're you know, it's an old, you know, it's a weird West setting, I guess, just to say. <clears throat> and I told them that this has got some very dungeon delvey vibes about it. And I don't think they really realized how Dungeon Delvey it's actually getting. And they're digging it. They're digging it a lot. And I'm very happy because I've created this dungeon all by myself. And it's been a long time since I've created something that was just from the ground up that they're just like, oh, shit, this has got all the elements that I want in a Dungeon Delve. So that so far has been... I'm going to give it three and a half stars so far just because our sessions have been so short. We've only been playing for like an hour and a half, two hours at the most with these sessions. So it's meh. I don't think I'm getting the most out of it. What I would I would usually like three to four hours is what I usually prefer. Sparse and economic is usually the way to go there. You're not somebody that has a lot of expositional discussion. So that probably helps things along. Um so just kind of get right into the meat of the whatever it is and keep the pacing good yeah but i'm with you i'm i prefer more like four or five hours Mm -hmm. um to be able to get into a couple of plot points that's usually about how long it takes if you're not hurrying things but with something like this it might be a little different and things move at a quicker pace once you're in the meat of a like a dungeon crawl, like especially mm-hmm. if it's just mostly atmospheric and it's building mood and stuff like that and not really super action heavy, which in a weird West thing I imagine is probably punctuated with the occasional intense thing and mostly building mood and mystery yeah. and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have our D&D campaign yet again this week. Yeah. Um, I did have my Savage Shadowrun game on Wednesday, which, and then this, I think this one is, if not the record, it's damn near tied for second in a session that I think we had under five 
actual dice rolls the entire session. Mm-hmm. It was very just very role play driven. Mm-hmm. And even me who can always think of a dice roll to do, I, there was not much that I could really think of when it actually came down to it. Sometimes you're just shoehorning them in there if if you're caught up in the plot. We in the Curse of Strahd before you joined, we had seven sessions, seven four hour sessions without a single attack roll or and maybe we had some ability checks, but there was no combat for mm-hmm. seven sessions. And that was impressive. I was like, well, okay. Like it was but it was I, I I liked that chunk of the adventure more than any other leg of the adventure of Curse of Strahd was that leg of mostly because it was off script. It wasn't mm-hmm. something that was in the adventure. I, I might have detailed it for you um, when you were here. I think I was telling you about it. I was like, man, that was really cool. Really, I remember I, you bringing it up that you couldn't believe that not a single combat had happened in so long. Well, And when it did, it was the showdown with uh, Isaac or whatever, the bodyguard of the mayor of Valaki. Yeah. And I was expecting it to be, okay, this is going to culminate in trying to depose the mayor of the town and the bodyguard is going to have his back and it's going to be this fight. And instead our cleric just surprised him and like unloaded like his most powerful spells and just by himself and fucked him up really quickly. And it was super anticlimactic, but kind of cool. Yeah. Those I found that some of those can be some of my favorite sessions though. Yeah. Uh, usually because there's a lot more gags and, you know, guffaws going about. And also it just gets a little bit more. It really dives deep into the story. And I believe I usually find that new plot points can come out from them. There's a lot of set piece work uh, with the culmination of that. Uh, players had endeavored to do something that wasn't really in the adventure. And so that's part of what made it rewarding there was a little bit of tedium of just bouncing back and forth from like one building to another in town so that wasn't super dynamic mm. but i don't know the players never seemed to get bored uh but i could be off base there so i don't know it's it's, it's fine as long as the pacing is good then whatever time you need but yeah hour and a half seems not really enough time to kind of like barely get the engine going before you just stall it out. So. Yeah, yeah. All right, Dave. We have a uh, an email okay. that came in that came from our uh, our old friend Bobby. Remember, Bobby? Stop calling yourself Bobby. You're a grown man. That I don't no, know. He's, he's just doing it now to irritate you. He's I know. doing it all capital letters and shit. <clears throat> uh, he says, so he wants to know, this This originally is for you. Uh, hey, guys, Matt has talked about how he likes rules light system because he likes to be able to do stuff on the fly. And Dave says that he likes D&D because he just knows the the rules well. But if Dave had a choice, would he rather do a GURPS or Shadow One style, very crunchy rules or a rules light game. Hmm. You've even got him calling me Dave. <laughs> I know. It's my fault. <laughs> Fucking. It is. Everyone out here calls me David because that's my name. 
Um, but no, hey man, hey, well, maybe maybe he's uh he's trying to affect a jocular tone. And you're like, hey, and he goes by Bobby, so maybe <laughs> yeah, right. Shorten their names in his world. Um, so if I understand the question correctly, it is. Do I like D&D because it's familiar? I think what he's asking is if you had a choice, like you would already, you would know these rules well, no matter what, would you prefer more crunch or would you prefer more light? Oh, like if just, yeah, he's, he's asking like, he's basically, first of all, he's assuming that I like D&D because I'm familiar with it. I'm familiar with a lot of role-playing systems actually have been over the years i've played riffs i've played vampire the masquerade i've played the conan rpg i've played the star wars rpg i've played a lot of rpgs but part of the reason that i've never stuck with any of them is because i didn't really like the world and the mechanics and how they played out as much as i like dungeons and dragons so not sure if that's a misnomer that the question is predicated on but if i'm Wishing that D&D were more light or crunchy, then I would wish it were a little more sophisticated. But uh, part of the reason I like D&D is that I think it has a very good balance, more than any other system. 5e Dungeons & Dragons has the best balance between sophistication and and like uh, easy to learn and streamlined. And the things that you think are too streamlined or too... Uh, pared down you can amp them up if you want and if you're an experienced gm or even a moderately experienced gm you can do that if i had my way i think there could be some more sophistication in DD without necessarily making it laboriously uh, crunchy to use your right making your, it third edition again right but some things include that I think the mounted combat in Dungeons and Dragons is incredibly stupid. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of good rules for siege combat or um, how to do large scale um, like army encounters like you would see in film. I don't uh, like the armor class system, really. I just higher defense for armor class doesn't seem. I, I, I just. I prefer the armor soaks damage yeah, or dodge or a parry skill that avoids damage. Those are separate skill sets just because um and and it would you know the health system needs improvement, but those things are the way they are for a low barrier to entry. And I'm comfortable bringing anybody into a D&D game and I have done this. Mike, uh Chris, Beto, three of our players had never played Dungeons and Dragons before, never played any role-playing game before, and they got the knack of it pretty quickly. And uh, hell, now that I think about it, almost everybody is Matt and Rob and and all the people I play D&D with, I introduced it mm-hmm. to them. And I'm not the greatest teacher by any means, so that's really a testament to the game. But perhaps in Matt's case, I taught him second edition Dungeons and Dragons, and it's like, if you can fucking learn that, you can like yeah you, you can, can learn just, fucking anything you can pick up fifth edition and just blindfold it pick yeah. it up through osmosis so i i'm with you that i think the rules for i mean maybe he's not saying this but i uh, i would prefer more sophistication but you also have to acknowledge that when you tweak any one little thing it can have 
large implications and consequences mm-hmm. to the tenor and style of game that you want to play. And trying to get people invested in a game when they're not power gamers and they're not like um, actors, that's basically the, the dichotomy that you have. You have people like Patrick who there is no rule system that you can give my buddy Patrick. Like he's in our game. You could not give him a rule system that is too complicated for him to understand deeply and well and master within like a couple of days. Most players aren't like that. And most players are not on the other end of the spectrum, which is uh, our former player, Chris Davis. He is more of an actor. He is more in the mindset and the character motivation. And he's, he's all about role playing rules. Light systems work great for that. If you have a, whole troop of guys that used to you know be in your theater troupe yeah go with rules light and if you have a bunch of weirdo fucking neck beard engineers like patrick (laughs) then go with a crunchy system whatever works but if you're looking for a balance that is uh hey random buddy that i've been hanging out drinking whiskey with want to try dungeons and dragons you need to try dungeons and dragons you can't you can't say that come play any other system with me and have it really make as much sense barrier to entry, but still be replayable for people that are experienced and still be able to go like, eh, you know, you, I, I think there are things that could be better about Dungeons and Dragons, but I don't get bored with the uh, lack of complexity in the rules. Mm. I think for myself, if it was children, I would do, probably ICRPG, mm-hmm. but anybody else that I wanted to get into gaming, it would be either D&D or Savage Worlds. And I might actually just say fuck off Savage Worlds and just do D&D to introduce them because fifth edition is, it's a great medium in mm-hmm. between all of it. And if they play it and they say, I wish there was a little bit more be like, Oh, well guess what? I got something great for you. And then we can, we can go in and do it like a GURPS or shadow run or fuck. We'll play third edition. Or if you're like, this is a little bit much, I'm more creative. Like, guess what? Got you, dude. I found fifth edition is like that perfect medium though, especially just introducing people into the hobby. It is awesome. Yeah. Well, GURPS and savage worlds and other things that are not necessarily tailored to the world in which they're set suffer from that. Mm-hmm. They, they suffer from the fact that they're like, well, it could be in a cyberpunk setting, but it could also be in a medieval fantasy setting, but it could also be in a weird West setting. And it's like, that means that it's definitionally generic. And if your game is not focused on plot character and all those things, you're going to notice it. It's not going to, it's not going to be a, the level of sophistication that you want from it. And, so it's just because it's just not tailored to the specific world in which like it is supposed to exist. I, I'm with you. I'm kind of of two minds, something like GURPS or, or Savage Worlds, because the spell slot system in D&D can be confusing to new players. Like when you just have yeah. these are spells and it takes this many points to use them, that is more streamlined. Mm-hmm. But... I know why they did that, and it's for character concept balance. And I would suspect that if you transfer Dungeons and Dragons characters over to Savage Worlds, it has pretty big impacts for 
the characters that can cast spells. Like things are so much different when you don't think in terms of spell slots. Mm. So, but that is a, the most the number one a priority top of the list alpha fucking thing that confuses new players is spell slots is super confusing yep it always has been and i think it always will be yeah no matter what yeah i err on the side of probably more sophistication if i had my way but i understand why my way isn't the best way for most players yeah of course everybody's got their own their own shtick um, moving on from emails into news that came out that I thought was actually kind of cool. And I thought you might dig this. So this is coming from a uh, Dungeons and Dragons fan.com. Uh, I read this and one of the things that they were talking about, cause I don't keep up on a lot of the, uh, um, the wizards present stuff as much as I used to. Um, every year wizards, this wizards of the code. This guy's a fake fan, bro. He's a, fucking, <laughs> he's a fake fan. No real uh, fan would say that shit. Every I know, right? Total fake fan. Every year, Wizards does a Wizards Presents, uh, which Wizards of the Coast, they announce a roadmap for new D&D game books and everything else that they're planning on for like the next two to three quarters. And this one uh, came up because I love the uh, the title of this was uh, what they started back in 2015. They're now bringing to a close. <laughs> Which I think fifth uh, edition came out twenty fourteen or was it twenty fifteen? I think it was, was twenty fifteen. I mean, I don't know. You and I have been playing since the beta, so it's kind of hard to delineate. Twenty four, yeah, twenty fourteen. Um, but so they have a module coming out, a new adventure called Fandelver and Below: The Shattered Obelisk. Um, and I will quote. Uh, the roadmap included the heist theme adventure anthology, Keys from the Golden Vault, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but what we want to know is uh, Fandelver and Below the Shattered Obelisk is an update of the popular mini campaign Lost Mine of Fandelver, originally published in 2014 as part of the D&D starter box set. Uh, so the book will be released September 19th of 2023. Uh, it's currently available for pre-order with uh, both the... Uh, the collector's cover and the regular. So what is Fandelver and Below the Shattered Obelisk about? Fandelver and Below the Shattered Obelisk is an updated version of the original Lost Mine of Fandelver adventure, uh, where the original took you from level one to five, right? Something this one like has the original adventure in it, but it expands on everything that was in it and brings you from level one to 12. And it also closes some of the things that they had in there, like the glass staff stuff. I'm hoping I'm not saying that this is what it is, but I always wanted the more to the glass staff because the glass staff was supposed to be like a title that the dude had. And I was just like, I thought it was so fucking cool. Um, so, yes. Uh, so the original took you one to five. The new 2023 version will take uh, characters from level one to 12 when played in its entirety. What's more, uh, what's more, while the original Fandelver campaign offered up some classic D&D elements, this new version will also feature a heavy dose of horror. While many of the while many of the familiar NPCs and locations of the original campaign will be included, some of the action will also also now take place in the Underdark, 
with players facing down a variety of monsters, including some twisted beyond recognition by a dark mutation. Notably, the game is promising to introduce psionic goblins. Um, And of course, in addition, the campaign in the title itself uh, will feature the legendary Black Obelisk. Now, these came along in um, adventures that you ran. I don't think they were in any of the ones that I did, other than they were supposed to be in... uh, Shit, what was that called? I can't remember... uh, where it all took place in the Underdark. I tried to do it. I never finished it. I played it with some guys for like three sessions and then we stopped. Um, uh, out of the Abyss. Out of the Abyss. That's it. That's exactly it. Um, but it also says that like Frost of the, our Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, it was really big. The obelisks were really big in that. And they've been kind of, uh, yep, yeah, Out of the Abyss, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Um, they made big appearances in as well as a couple other ones. So they've been kind of like taking this idea and putting it out there. And now this is supposed to kind of like take everything that was the original few adventures that they put out and bring them to a close. Okay. Uh, so I thought, uh, what was your thoughts on this? Like taking it and still now they are, it's technically re-releasing the original, but expanding on it. And of course, this is going to be a full book. So, you know, 50 some odd bucks for a hardcover book. But what are your thoughts on a re-release? But it's not just re-release. It's more of an expansion. And this is coming like both of us have said, this is one of the greatest adventures that they've published in a very long time. I could probably best describe it as ambivalence. Uh, We have. Saying the praises of The Lost Mine of Fandelbert, it is a great adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do believe that we have also lamented the fact that it ended when it did. If you recall, the campaign that I ran, I did try to kind of expand a little bit on that campaign and segue into something of my own. That is the benefit of that campaign. Filling in the gaps and trying to tie things together is not a bad way to send off fifth edition. I like that concept. Although I suspect that tapping old material is just a really quick and easy way to get people invested in something and often gets stale after a while. Just look at Disney and all their remakes of their classic mm-hmm. films or whatever from the, when we were kids in the 90s and the 80s right and you you reach a point where at some point you're kind of cannibalizing yourself a little bit uh that said i don't know what's contained in the adventure it would be nice to kind of expand upon that but the one caveat would be that i'm skeptical that it will be of the quality that the original was like it's there seems to be diminishing returns for a lot of D D stuff it's it's touch and go i didn't play rhyme of the frost maiden i was pretty curious about it but um the curse of strata is a great adventure lost man of Fandelver is a great adventure out of the abyss is kind of a pretty flat and boring adventure same thing with the tyranny of dragons was just kind of the grander in scale things get for wizards it appears that the worse they often end up being mm. 
So you're taking something that had like a relatively small scope and you're expanding that scope out. And the culmination of tying a bunch of threads from a bunch of other adventures in, one seems shoehorned. I doubt they had this intent all along. They just did like a whole mystery box thing where they just kind of littered these things throughout and made them enigmatic. And now they're trying to stitch that together with one last cash grab before sixth edition comes or what are they calling it? Um, what one D and D one D and D. So I reserve judgment as to whether it would be worth the investment in time or whether it would just be like, man, this edition is coming to an end. We got to do something to get people to keep buying some of it before it goes out of fad because plenty of people are likely like, man, I'm not going to really go after any more fifth edition stuff. I'm just going to wait for one D and D if you're the kind of person that keeps up on editions. Uh, so what I'm really hearing is that it sounds like September 19th. Is this just your way of telling me that you would like this thing for your birthday, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I'll be all right. Yeah. Matt's birthday is the day after that, but yeah, way, listeners. Um, so yeah, I don't know. You wouldn't, you wouldn't run it. I mean, I, I would like to read it just to see where they're trying to go with it. Like I said, there's some stuff whenever Fandelver, when Fandel, when the box set first came out and I read through the adventure, you know, the whole 15 minutes that it took you to read through it, you're like, this is fucking great. This is good. But I wonder where this is going. I wonder where this came from. But uh, isn't that part of the appeal? Is that, that is the part of the appeal. I was the door open for a creative GM to kind of flesh those things out and not need it spoon fed to you like some idiot because the in- wizards is great at intrigue, but they're not necessarily great at delivering on the level of intrigue that they provoke with some things. And so the intrigue was there, and then now when they spoon feed you, it's 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 it reminds me of how every single fan theory about what was going to happen in the end of Game of Thrones was better than what the fucking writers came up mm-hmm. with. <laughs> like terrible, terrible. Like you could have just taken any one of of fan theories, some of which I had too. It was like, oh, this is where I thought it was going. I wouldn't even call myself a fan theory guy, but I just kind of like, oh, I can see the clues and I see where this is going. And they did something completely different. Wizards kind of is like that a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or they don't deliver on the intrigue that they promise. And they're, it almost seems at a certain point that starter sets like Lost Mine or Dragon of Ice Fire Peak is a good starter set too. That usher people into Dungeons and Dragons, into GMing into a creative forum and atmosphere that allows them to have fruitful ideas. The onslaught of products that are Gatling gun at you are totally de-incentivizing that. They're just making you the kind of passive slug that needs to be spoon-fed things to really understand them and it's like that's what i loved about lost mine of fandelver and to a lesser degree the dragon of ice spire peak is that it feels like there's enough flexibility and room for you to be a gm 
and to continue on the story, it gives you enough seeds and scaffolding for that. So many of these feel like just shoehorned and ushered like you're it's actively stifling your ability to do anything and you're just waiting for the next module to come out. And mm-hmm. that doesn't really you're you're only gonna get lazy, really well off like tech people around here that don't they don't really they want to run a game but that's and and i'm not shitting on that right i'm really 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 not shitting on that but something that inspires creativity in people to me is more whimsical and valuable than something that just spoon feeds them every aspect of how to like run an adventure it takes the whole uh, for lack of a better word fun out of being a game master, trying to inject some things into the game that are your own. When it's if it's all just scripted, then you're really just a rules referee, and and that's about it. You know? mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was gonna say uh, when I got done with Lost Minds, uh, I felt like I wanted to just build upon it myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were all these threads that were in there that the the players were already just like, well, what the fuck does this all mean and i that was one thing that i really liked about lost mind of fendelver is that it had these threads there that you were able to just build upon uh they try to do that shit with like later on in a dungeon of the mad mage Mm -hmm. uh where they were just like oh it's an infinite dungeon so what we did when we made the maps is there's hallways and shit that go to rooms that we're not going to design that's for you because it goes on forever. It's like, all right, it's kind of cool, but it's also kind of shitty for those people that want to run this shit. And they got the maps out there and they're like, where does this hallway go? And if they're not very, a cre- if they're not a very creative DM, just like, uh, nowhere. Yeah. There's some of that too, where wizards does that, where they're like, Oh, we didn't provide any maps for these locales. And it's like, okay, well, how am I supposed to know what the, the layout is it's like either flesh the world out or don't but it is that old adage where starting something is easier than continuing it because as you continue something it needs to get more concrete and specific so it's hard to do a level 1 to 20 campaign that has the elements you know it's of of a good starter adventure is supposed to be like a sample platter mm-hmm. and so what happens above and beyond that is for the GM to decide. And if you pique someone's curiosity, then it gets them interested in the game. And when you flesh that out, you, but who knows, maybe they've been, maybe this has been in the works for ever since the beginning, but I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical of that. (laughs) Me too. All right. Uh, let's move on from the news. Uh, And who knows, maybe I will. Maybe I'll read that adventure and I will report back and let you know what I think. Uh, But let's get into a community question. 16. 16. All right. This one comes from a. uh, Hold on. I want to make sure. No. So this is totally different, but I remember this uh, this person, A underscore random gamer. Oh, yeah. Uh, title is, one of my players rolled really well and is such and is as such really powerful, and I don't know what to do. 
Uh, this 5e campaign started a while back. When we started, I said players could roll or use standard array slash point by. Most use standard array, but one player rolled. And that player, well, you read the title. At first, when their character was extreme... Uh, when their character was extremely powerful, I thought this was just a me problem. But a few of my players have also noticed it, leading to my issue. How do I deal with this? I don't want to ask this player to re-roll or use standard array point by, but I don't know what else to do. Any help would be appreciated. <laughs> Firstly, David has brought this up so many times. This player rolled in front of you? That's the problem is you're just like, go ahead and roll and just tell me what you get. It's, mm -hmm. It is amazing how much of you tell players to roll and just tell you what they get. Nobody ever gets below an average scores. Nobody ever gets like three eights, a 10 and a 12. Like <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Um, but that does happen occasionally. It has happened to me. I remember back in the second edition days, um, I made everybody roll all the mm -hmm. time for their characters. And one such campaign, my brother just rolled up a really fucking great character with like a fucking two 16s, a fucking 18, a 15, like a 12 or some shit. It was like, he was just good at everything. So I don't, I'm suspicious that they could be good at everything. Uh, but this goes to a point that I made previously, which is if your character is, if, if a character is incredibly smart, incredibly strong, incredibly agile, incredibly likable, they are effectively like a fucking ubermensch, which means that they just have a giant target on them. All of the time. All of the time. Like, not only do enemies realize they are the biggest threat socially and in combat, but other characters, NPCs, are likely to defer to this character all of the time and seek their help for everything. Do you have any idea how much of a burden that would be if mm -hmm. people were constantly asking your help because you're so likable and so capable? It would be unbearable. And try having the NPCs basically never listen to the other PCs, even when they have great ideas, even when it might be like their, their area of expertise. Just have that PC running the show and and make them feel the weight of the responsibility of being the most capable it, think about it like being the best player on like a championship team think about it being like a like a Sidney Crosby or a Tom Brady or or a Joe Montana or a Michael Jordan you have any idea the weight of the responsibility that comes with that not everybody is up to the task mm -hmm. and so it would tease out some of the character's metal like your character is just great at these things try making that weight so much that they can't bear that they might actually have to lean on their fellow pcs and they could still be a leader and capable 
But if you just overload them with challenges, like pretend as though every challenge the party faces is one like particular to that PC. And that might seem like you're picking on that PC, but in all reality, we have higher expectations of people that are like charismatic and, and talented and smart. Like, and if he's, his character is all those things that you can't really like exploit one weakness, then there should be a great deal of responsibility put on this person. And so try forcing some sort of uh, conundrums out of them about like what will happen independent of like the mechanics of the game. Bad guys attack the biggest threat. And if this guy is big and strong and has a really high charisma, charismatic, like an equally like a barbarian with like a 20 strength and like an 18 um, constitution and like a 16 dexterity is really in the eyes of the enemy shouldn't be as much of a threat as like a fighter with like a 15 strength, 15 con and like a 17 charisma. A charisma is your presence. And so try figuring out a way to make that burden a little more than they can bear. And they might see the value of their fellow PCs. Would you have anything to tack on the top of that, Matt? The one thing that I have to put on top of that is, I don't know, I don't want to make it seem like it's you attacking or trying to make the other players aggressive towards him, but almost work work with it. Uh, Because it makes me think of back in the day when we were playing Vampire Mm -hmm. and Jace's character Thorn got so fucking powerful uh, that he was, you know, the he was selected to do a lot of stuff because he was a very powerful vampire in our area. And because we were a part of his coterie, you know, we always hung around with him. We just got sucked in to it all the time. So we just got put into dangerous encounters and there's a lot of times that we would be like dude fuck off with this this isn't our bag and thorn would just be like well tough this is just what happens to me and you know we just, do what i say yeah we do what i say yeah exactly i'm the main character here <laughs> i probably could have did a little bit better about trying to tamp that down uh so there's another tactic that I would suggest, which is just because this player has um, good attributes does not mean that they're equally adept at everything that other players Mm-mm. are, right? Try crafting scenarios if this character is, say, a fighter. Uh, he's good at beating stuff up. Try embedding things more into the campaign where maybe other characters backgrounds might be relevant other characters toolkit proficiencies other characters skills might be relevant just because just because he's good at a lot of stuff he has good attributes that he rolled doesn't mean that he can pick locks i mean maybe he can but it doesn't mean he's necessarily trained in that try vanguarding some things like that saying okay um you don't need to have handled this up front, but sometimes I will reserve certain checks for people that are actually trained in a skill or a toolkit. Oh, you're going to try to pick this lock. Well, you can't just 
you're not you don't have a training in, in thieves tools like you don't know how to do that at all you can't even make an attempt because it's just beyond your capability it doesn't matter how dexterous you are you've never handled these tools before so maybe you have a plus five because you're fucking or you know a plus four because your dex is really good mm. and this other person is proficient with a plus two and a plus two and they're a plus four but they they actually can do this and you can't and so right like that, you said you have a plus four to dex but i'm going to give you disadvantage because you've never looked at these tools ever something yeah you can do that on the fly I and mean, do it too much and the player might feel like they're put upon um but that you you shouldn't worry about players being put upon if they're trying to step on the toes of another player you have a guy in the party that whose role like baked into his class is that he's kind of like picks locks and like picks pockets and moves silently and that's his thing and you're a fighter and your thing is like kicking down doors and beating up bad guys and now you're suddenly trying to do what he does and just show him up that is a shitty thing to do because it's like there's that's what builds camaraderie in a party is going like, oh, like this guy, like, hey, you're you're trained. You you speak a lot of languages or some weird foreign writing on the wall. Like, see if you can decipher that. I'm going to go over here and try to pick the lock on this chest. And, you know, it's like everybody has their their role. And this is like what makes the game fun. And so if he's trying to step on the toes of another player, uh, like whose like particular specialty is X, Y or Z, then I don't think there's anything wrong with knocking him down a couple of pegs and letting him know that that's not necessarily in the spirit of the game again if you do it too much they're gonna feel put upon mm. but uh this this is the whole sharing the spotlight thing just because your character is super powerful doesn't mean you don't need to share the spotlight and and that other people can um contribute something if if this player gets an ego about them and they're so super powerful then you just basically in your head think, okay, the player is taking an attitude like they can do everything themselves. And let's see when we take that to the logical terminus of what will happen. They can do everything themselves. Let's let's try to craft scenarios where, yeah, everything falls to them and let's just see how they do that because no one player should ever be able to do anything that an entire adventuring party can do. And if you put that burden on him, he will realize very quickly that the other players have value and the other players will like, you know, will ironically will probably still look to him for guidance because he is, you know, that alpha male in the group or whatever, but won't feel undermined. Most people don't have a problem playing second fiddle to someone who is like the leader of a group or acquiescing to a leader of the group, because uh, frankly, a lot of players don't really want that responsibility as long as they're, afforded an opportunity to shine and kind of do the things and the aspects of the game that they really like, they don't mind if the, someone is the face of the party or the, the he's killing most of the bad guys. If it's like they know that they have their time and they have their value and they're not just like uh, some uh, henchman or something, they, they don't really don't mind. And so if, if there is a, a give and take there by you just packing stuff on top of this one player with responsibility that the other party members need to help shoulder that burden, they will both feel more valued. Well, goddamn. All right. Well said. Well said. I think uh, we helped this gentleman here. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up. Have I have I bitched to you about my Marvel game before? Yes. Yeah. And you're, there, you're trying to troubleshoot it by switching 
Yes, I am. I'm really trying and I'm succeeding, I hope. Uh, But one part. So we're kind of I'm like uh, chipping away at it. Uh, Every episode that we do, I'm going to talk about one of the aspects that I really don't like. And one of them is, is that as much as I love Spencer and he is a creative dude that just wants to have fun. But he's that old school GM that one of the things that I really can't stand. So we are a group of, let's see, there's six of us. We break up in two groups of three and we go in separate cars and we're driving off to this warehouse. One of the groups stops and just like, all right, that's cool. They can stop and do their thing. Switch to them. We'll get back to you when we meet you at the warehouse. No. They stop, they do their thing, and then he comes back to us and he says, All right, well, you guys are you know still driving while they're doing this. What are you doing? It's like, oh, nothing. We're just gonna keep driving. All right, goes back, you know, does them for a few minutes, goes back to us. All right, you guys are still driving. What do you want to do? Just like, dude, just we'll just <laughs> deal with it when we get there. Let them do their shit and then we'll just meet. And he's like, All right, cool. Goes back to them. They finish up what they are doing at their stop and get back in the car. What do you want to do? Nothing. We just want to meet them. Well, you got a you got like another hour drive. What do you want to do? Nothing, dude. Just let us fucking skip. And what is that, Dave? What do we call that sort of shit when that happens? When they just want to try to? I don't know if it's just trying to lengthen the game time or if they're just being a dick. But there's something about it that I just cannot stand. Oh, you, you save you save this. I didn't uh this is an issue in your Marvel game. Our main topic today is um something that you're grappling with. And it is an old school DM problem. This is what filmmakers call well, actually it's what film editors. Film editing is not something that is often talked about in the world of film. But it is very, very important. Very, very, very important thing in film. Um, so that's what we call a shoe leather. Uh, it's, there's, uh, like I'm a journalist. And so shoe leather journalism is where you go out and you do the legwork. And so that's kind of what they're, they are doing in the game. So to give you kind of a baseline uh, operational definition in editing typically what you want to do is cut out as much shoe leather as possible i used the example before the cast of let's say you have two characters and they decide that it's they're having a conversation and the topic is a sensitive topic and so they decide that they're going to move to a more secure location and uh or maybe a more public location because whatever one of them is uncomfortable and they want to move to a more public area because whatever reason and then one says to the other like hey meet me down the street at this coffee shop or at this restaurant or whatever typically a good editor just cuts to that scene and if they're actually really good they don't cut to the beginning of the characters coming and sitting down at the table they cut to them already in the middle of a conversation cutting out all of the extraneous dialogue, but shoe leather includes all of that, which is 
they would say, oh, okay, like, we're going to meet down there. So then you show one character, like, walking down to his car and, like, fumbling with his keys, and he starts up his car. And then he, like, drives two blocks, and you follow him all the way. He's mucking with the radio. Then he has to, like, find a parking spot, and he finds the parking spot, and he gets out, and he walks up to the restaurant, and he says, like, oh, hey, I need a table for two. And then she's like, oh, okay, would you, would you, would you like, you know, this side of the restaurant or that side? He's like, oh, that's fine. I'm going to have a cup of coffee. And then, you know, my friend's going to be here in a minute, so, you know, I'm just, like, waiting for him. And then he sits there for a few minutes, and puts some sugar in his coffee and then the guy comes in and he says hey how was your trip and you're like oh my god right like (laughs) with the hey how was your trip or like hey like let's get right into this it's like no just just jump we need to meet this at the restaurant and then jump to the relevant portion of the conversation Mm. we do this a lot with dialogue too where it's like there's so much extraneous stuff you don't need like all that small talk and whatever that's called shoe leather and it can be a problem in games. I know I struggled with this in like second edition where it's like you want to have an immersive experience and give your players a beat by beat notion of what happens. But you just say, okay, I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to hop on my horse and I'm going to ride to town. That's like, unless something happens in the narrative of you being the GM, a random encounter, a meteor falls out of the sky. Uh, the horse falls in a fucking quagmire. You, 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 you like, I don't know. A rattlesnake jumps up and mm. coils around your fucking leg. Something happens. Then you just cut to the next thing where there is next relevant plot information. Uh, I'm curious, given that you were first a player in my games. Before you started GMing, did you take that bad habit with you when you started GMing? Fuck yes, I did. Yeah, Ooh. I was I was bad at it. Uh, I like to think that I quickly got over it, uh, just because I found that there was at least for the people that I was playing with, uh, there was no no bonus, no nothing came out of it. So I just quickly saw, oh well. Nobody's having a good time with this. I can just cut it out and just, I have never gone back. What, um, I'm curious, how do you decide? Let me start again. Hmm? I always used to worry that I'm robbing the players of some sort of autonomy, which is why I included it, that maybe they might want to do something that's character driven or, or quirky or and giving them a chance to shine. Was that your biggest worry, too, why you included it? Or do you just think it was because that's the way I did it and you thought that's the way it was done? Well, at first I thought it was just because that's the way you do it. That's the way that it's played. You know, I I came up, you know, a grandmaster showed me how to do this. He knew <laughs> what best. I'm going to do that shit. And, and then it was pretty. Well, it was like. <laughs> um, I want to give them. <laughs> I wanted to give them a time to do whatever they wanted, you know, just in case something did come up uh, because I was afraid that if I uh, made shit go too fast, that somebody was going to miss out on something just like I do today where I'm just like, Hey, all right, so you're going to go do this. Is there anything you want to do on the way? And they're like, Oh no. And then we get, you know, I'm just like, all right, well, when you reach and they're like, Oh, hold on. I want to do this. We're like, Oh yeah, no problem. What did you want to do? Before no, nope, nope, you already said no. You yeah. already said no. You're there now, and you don't. You you missed the opportunity. You missed the opportunity. before. I would have thought, 
they want to be able to just hit that stride before they get there. And that it is as soon as I say that, yeah, you're here. Well, now you're fucking here. You're stuck. Are there moments when you prefer to include a little bit of shoe leather? And if oh, so, yeah. what are those circumstances? Oh, hell yeah. If I have, uh, well, it all, it has to do if like, I feel like I'm missing story beats. I'll add them into especially those little just little in between moments add like five minutes onto the game really is all it is but if i feel like i am lacking in something to this point and i want to add something then i can during that that short time that they are just moving from you know they're just going to the store or they're going from one location to the other that's always the easiest way to do it uh but i'll tell you one thing I want to ask you, does this fall under this umbrella? So, again, back to the Marvel game. Uh, so we all decide, yes, we are going to go here. We're going to go there. And, you know, Spencer says as the uh, the GM, well, how are you going to are you going to get in the car first? Yeah, <laughs> we're going to get in the car. All right. Well, what way are you going to take? I don't fucking know, dude. The quickest way. Would you consider that sort of like these questions? that are being thrown at us. Would you consider that a part of shoe leather? A little bit. I would, uh, asking for a degree of specificity is that is like, okay, do my, does my character know where point B is? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Do I know what is likely the best way to get there and the best mode of travel to arrive in a timely manner? Yes. Okay, then. Why are we having this discussion? I do that. I don't need... Because plenty of players... Like, my worry was that every time you exclude something, you just jump to a thing, then the place... Well, I wanted to, like... I was going to, like, you know, go shopping for some thing. It's like, okay, oh, God, okay. Mm. And you're just, like, irritated, right? Because you're not giving the players... Um, quieter moments in the game. And I understand why they're, it sounds like you're on board with me at least a little bit here, which is you can't just have nonstop jacked, amped up fucking action happening yeah. all the time. Movies don't operate this way. Books don't operate this way. You have to have like some low key time. Yeah. There's downtime that, that like shifts down, but you want to like shift down and try to make the most of that time, whether it's in an inn or a tavern, camping, travel, uh, we've talked a lot about the travel montage technique, which I am like fully into. I used to do the whole hour by hour and it just made the game just fucking drag on. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I can, in retrospect, I can almost sense the players like, okay, are we going to encounter a monster here? If not, when are we going to get to where we're fucking going? And I get that there is some need for that, especially the good use of shoe leather is if you're trying to build the world. So don't shoe leather is um, definitionally pejorative, right? It is definitionally the boring stuff that has no life to it. So if you're going to include banal things, players walking, players just doing normal banal things, Try to think of ways in which you can inject some character of the world, character of the NPCs, 
um, to give the world texture, to build mood, to build suspense. And if you're if you're doing those things during more quiet times, low energy scenes, then you're not committing a, a shoe leather violation. But if you're just gluttony or like a putting a glut of that stuff in there between pillar things, try imagining what the plot of your adventure would be like if you cut all of that out and put the two things side by side. Is it too high energy? Is it too high octane? Because if it is, you need to kind of go back to the drawing board. The players likely feel like the locations and the areas and everything are just siloed off Mm -hmm. because they're just popping between them randomly or there's long laborious uh, downtime in the game when you don't really need any of that, right? Uh, the, The GM should provide a small window for the players to avail themselves to a gap in time. Like, we're going to go to this location. Okay, um, from what you estimate, you'll probably arrive in about 45 minutes. So unless there's anything that in particular you'd like to be doing during that drive, I'm going to cut back to the other players, and when we come, you'll have arrived, right? It communicates, it it, it telegraphs what's going to happen, and that's good. And so the players know, like, actually, yeah, I'm going to flip the radio station over to some, like, old jazz. I'm going to strike up a conversation with the driver, uh, you know, a buddy of mine about music and kind of go into the, like, maybe some dialogue there, maybe some whatever. And But if they don't want to avail themselves to that, then telegraph to them that they will be arriving at their destination and that it might be a few minutes because, you know, it takes 45 minutes and you're going to handle 45 minutes worth of action with the other players before that happens. Uh, but just kind of popping back in is like, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? Mm-hmm. What are you doing now? It's like it, it's it's repetitive and it's it, it almost is a tactic that seems to be judgmental of the players. You know, you're not doing anything. It's like, dude, we're driving in a fucking car. <laughs> like, like, OK, sometimes I'm having a conversation with someone when I'm in the car. And sometimes movies even show this if it's relevant. But most of the time. Most of us get in the fucking car and we drive to where it is we're going. And it's like even when you, like even when I hang out with you, we're not often talking. Like I was like, oh, let's go to the bar. We're just like driving the car. Mm, it's over mm-hmm. here. Okay, and then we get out and then we're in the bar and then we're drinking and we're like, yeah. And then we're talking. <laughs> you know, so yeah. we don't make fucking conversations. You're like I don't know where it is. Like where am I supposed to park here? This fucking asshole cut me off. And uh, and so that doesn't. I mean, if it were particularly relevant to the story for instance in a movie or uh, a game if you wanted to illustrate what kind of car someone drives what kind of horse they have if that were relevant in some way to their character then you might handle them walking up and mounting their horse or getting in their car and describe it firing up if it were relevant if it's not in any way and the character doesn't like just says we go get in my car you know they don't describe to you you know i walk up and i like slide my hand down the freshly waxed paint of my brand new bmw it's like you know that they're like this is a moment where they could avail themselves to some sort of character revealing information but if they just say just go get in the car and we go to the place then it's just like okay take that as a cue don't try to like project onto your players what you would want them to and the thing is is i don't even know like 
well, what are you doing? It's like, what what is it you're soliciting here? What is it you think we should be doing in the fucking car while we're driving from point A to B? It's like, I don't really know. Do you think this is supposed to be like a character dialogue moment? Because I'm following the plot and waiting for germane elements of the plot. And maybe we might make idle chit chat. And you could even paraphrase that as a player. I make discussion with the players Mm. about X, Y, or Z. I have a conversation with someone about this. That's probably not as good as having it in dialogue, but maybe you just don't want to have it in dialogue for whatever reason, because it isn't germane to the plot. Get to the next plot point. One, um, I think one uh, bad, it's not even really that bad. Uh, One thing that I've kept from doing that is uh, when one of the players, usually the uh, what we would call the leader of the group, mm-hmm. to say, I'm going to go off you know, to here, and then everybody else stays silent. And you just want to know, just because it's it's an option, just like, are you guys going to go with them? Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, duh. My, uh, my Ghost Mountain players are fucking horrible at that. It's like we get done with a scene. And then everybody just gets quiet. I'm just like, well, uh, what do you guys want to do? And they're just like, uh, we're going to do this because we're done here, right? I'm like, okay, yeah, good. Good to know. All right, sweet. Because you don't want to railroad the players by just having one outspoken player dictate what happens with the rest mm-hmm. of the group. You always want to give the players a chance to opt out and do something of their own accord if they want. Uh, have you noticed that I have in an interest of cutting out a shoe leather in recent games, I have stopped asking, what do you want to do? I have, I and have just, noticed that. And then we'll just linger silence until someone says something Uh-huh. like I, I'll set the stage. I will describe the scene. You know that all of you are free to act, not in turn to just speak up. I, the last game I, probably went a little too far with that where it was like players were almost like talking over one another because it was so free form. And like, I wasn't going like, okay, I was like, okay, maybe I need to get back to a little bit. Okay. 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 Like let's stop talking over to each other. Okay. Matt, what are you doing? Rob, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like Mike, what are you doing? But I just, I got really tired of having to be like, all right, just silence. What are you doing? What yeah, is yeah. like, is it picking on someone in particular? I, I would much rather prefer, I would much prefer the problem of, of, of players talking over one another and me having to kind of wrangle them in. Like, at least that shows everybody's excited to do something mm-hmm. as opposed to just kind of like sitting around waiting for something to happen. I, I want the players to take the reins of the adventure and to take ownership of it. And the more you clog up um, your adventure with a bunch of shoe leather that doesn't do anything to reveal anything about the characters, the plot, the texture of the world, or to set or build mood, atmosphere, mystery, um, tension, uh, some sense of, of, of horror or dread, uh, then it's useless. Get it out of your fucking game. I, I know that my games have been so much better since I have done that, and, and I still fall back into old habits. We all do, but my games have, have gone the pacing of them and the tenor and the plot and everything has been much better for just stop trying to describe the, the banalities of the adventure. An adventure is supposed to be heroic. 
it's supposed to be, uh, you know, high octane at like certain moments. That's not to say you can't downshift, but when you downshift, don't make it about um, bookkeeping. Well, how much weight are you carrying? What's in your backpack? It's like, just, just who cares, right? Like, I don't fucking care about your encumbrance. I don't care about like fucking <laughs> items you have. And this is, some of this stuff is so ingrained. Like we try to do the sundry item rule for for people that don't know. I don't know how, I don't know if this is in any other game, but I tried to implement what's called a sundry item rule, which is that in Dungeons and Dragons, you have a bunch of stuff and encumbrance is always an issue if you use the variant encumbrance, which we do. And just because I just don't like the idea of the characters carrying everything but the fucking kitchen sink with them. Mm. So what I said was, hey, let's just try this sundry item rule I came up with, which is, okay, your weapons and your armor are enumerated and they count toward your rate, your the weight of your encumbrance. Everything else is just in your backpack. And we're just going to say that like half of what would encumber you, that's what you're carrying. And anytime you want to like reach for an item... I'll just call for a strength or intelligence roll and it'll be a fairly low to moderate DC depending on the item. And if you succeed on it, then you have the item. And if you fail on it, you don't. So basically you could potentially conceivably have anything under the fucking sun in your pack, but they're not specifically enumerated. And I thought this was going to go over well. I thought it was a good end around to like, some of my players are so fixated on fucking encumbrance. They're like, well, I can't even carry those like extra five gold that you gave me because I'll be over my encumbrance and then I'll be slowed and I don't want to do that. And it's like, dude, seriously, this is, you need to carry all of this shit with you. And I was like, it'll be a good solution. Players don't like it. Players want to know every mm-hmm. single fucking thing in their goddamn inventory. It is just so ingrained in us. And, and in my early days of GMing, I think shoe leather was that way. And the more of it you can cut out of your game, the the better off your game is going to be. It's going to try to think of like low energy moments are not for shoe leather. They are for things that help build the aforementioned elements of your game. And if they're not achieving that, get to the next plot point. Get to the next thing that your players are interested in. Hell yeah. I think that's going to bring us to the end of this here episode. Uh. Thank you for, again, listening to us blather on about this bullshit. We much appreciate it and all your emails. And, hey, send us more emails. Give us some other shit to talk about and ramble and rant on about because we need it. We need some stuff to talk about. Uh, Also, come on in and uh, watch us usually on Sundays, 9 p.m. Eastern on Twitch.tv slash Inside the GM Studio. Uh, But for this week, I've been your host, Matt. And I am David. A good night.